Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with the most interesting voices in the sport. We've got a great show for you today. In 1997, she shook up Paris and the tennis world by winning the French at the age of 20. She also caught her final, the Australian Open and Wimbledon, and got to number four in the world, posting wins over Davenport, Hingis, Sellis, and Sabatini, to name a few. As a child, she traveled from wartime Croatia to Bradenton, Florida, to hone her craft at the Bulletary Academy. Now she is an active tournament exec, captains the Croatian Fed Cup team, and is fast becoming a tennis mom. Eva Maioli is going to explain what happens to the mentality of the draw when the number one seed loses in an early round, especially when that number one is an unstoppable Steffi Graf. She's going to tell us which young Croatians to look out for. She's going to let us know what she thinks of the WTA limiting the play of young players like Coco Goff. This episode is brought to you by Sergio Tacchini, the official apparel sponsor of Under Review. Ready. Yeah. Let's go. Um, first of all, we're in, I guess you call this the players <laughs> area. Uh, the garden outside of Arthur Ashe. What do you call this? The grass. <laughs> let's meet you on the grass. You call it the grass. You say, let's meet on the <laughs> grass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The woman you hear is former world number four, 1997 French Open champion, right? Right. <laughs> uh, final eight club of every Grand Slam. Yep. And doubles here, but not singles yep. here at yep. the U.S. Open. Yep, U.S. Open is the only one that I didn't get to the singles quarterfinals. <laughs> That's Eva Maioli. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. We were trying to track <laughs> you down really since... We really tried the whole week. Finally, we made it. We do a five-set format. Our first set we called Off the Court Report. Okay, okay. Now, what are you doing here? Well, uh, I represent St. Petersburg Tournament, men and women. We have a men tournament coming up in one week, so I'm actually very happy with the players we got this year. St. Petersburg, Russia. St. Petersburg, Russia. You're the player liaison. The yeah, play- I'm like a player representative, like almost like a co-tournament director. So I work closely with uh, with the tournament, which is uh, represented by Gazprom, and uh, we have a great team of people. Gazprom is the huge Russian conglomerate. Yeah. The gas company, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we have a tournament coming up in a week. We have signed Stan Wawrinka, Daniil Medvedev, Borna Cioric, uh, uh, who else? Uh, Kachanov, Berrettini. So we have a great field, and they're all doing amazing here. So we say it's a great warm-up for St. Petersburg. <laughs> so we are my, joking a little bit. <laughs> even Maioli, she's ready to rock. She's, yeah. got, she's got a tournament coming up in a week. <laughs> Yeah, we're looking forward but to that's the not, But that's not the only thing you're of here for. Of course not. I also start, uh, I got elected into the WTA board, top 20 player representative, which is starting after the US Open, but I've been going to the meeting since uh, Wimbledon. And I'm really looking forward actually for this role because I've been a player, I represent tournaments and the players, but the players is always my priority. So I'm looking forward for this. And then uh, again, Donna Vekic, who is doing amazingly. 
and who's improved so much in the last year. Getting into the quarters at the US Open, her first quarterfinals, and she's been my little baby since she started playing tennis, and I'm very close with the family and with Donna for many, many years, and uh, kind of went with Donna through many things, teenage stuff, love, relationships, tennis. I'm a Fed Cup captain and I put her on my teams when she was 14 or 15. And of course, everyone always complains. Ah, like, and I, I had a good feeling about her and Anna Konyuk to give them a chance. And that was really like a startup for them. And that's where it all kind of started going. And uh, I helped her a little bit when she was in between the coaches. I was traveling with her for about six months. And uh, here she is, quarterfinals, getting into the top 20, very close. So yeah, looking forward for today's match. Even Maioli doing a lot of stuff. A lot of boy. stuff at Woo! the moment. Yeah, very, very busy person. But that's not it, you're also a mother. I'm also a mother, so my daughter at the moment is very unhappy, but we manage it. She loves tennis, she plays and she actually wants to come and train at Boletieri Academy. So I think it's gonna happen in the near future and probably start the academy and go to school and train. And so looking forward to that. Your daughter, what's her name? Mia, Mia, she's 12. And um, can she hit the ball? She loves to hit, she's hitting the ball good, but uh, I always say it's a long way, baby. You know, you need to eat a lot of sugar and everything to make it. But she loves it and she's looking up to all these girls, of course, Donna and everybody. She's known them she, since she was almost born, so. And where do you live? I, my base is in Croatia. In Zagreb? Zagreb you yes. live in Zagreb? Yeah, yes, yes. Finally, I get to spend some time at home after being on the road for so many years. And what's the story? Can you walk the streets? You got to have security? <laughs> I can walk the streets, people recognize you, but uh, it's easy, you know, I stopped my career many years ago and uh, just kind of taking it slow and easy when I'm home. It's Amitraj October, that's right, all month we are celebrating the first family of tennis in India. A year ago we interviewed Prakash, the guy we all know from his tennis channel courtside interviews. This month, we released my interview with his dad, star of Court and Screen, VJ Amitraj. And recently, Racket Magazine released my article, Barbarians at the Net, which is an oral history of the notorious Hamptons Pro-Am, The Huggy Bear, and features the words of VJ's brother, Anand. If you want to hear more about The Huggy Bear and get the most informative, progressive, and stylish magazine in tennis, pick up Racket Magazine at racketmag.com or you can get it free when you join our Patreon that's right as part of Amitraj October Racket has kindly offered the latest issue free to any new patrons to sign up on our Patreon page at any level and you'll not only get the latest issue of Racket you'll also get to listen to early released episodes like Stan Smith and exclusive release episodes like my interviews with Fabrice Santoro and Justin Gimmelstab Beyond that, there's a ton of great additional perks. And best of all, you get to help us keep providing you with insight and stories from the most interesting voices in tennis. You can find it all at patreon.com slash underreviewtennis. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash underreviewtennis. We appreciate all of your support. Now let's get back to my talk with the one and only Eva Maioli. 
Let's move into our second set. We call this our on the court report. Okay. You know what, you said a little bit about her, but I want to get into it. Uh, Donna Vekic, she was a highly ranked junior. Yes, she was a highly ranked junior, and then she came up strong on a tour when she was 16. Uh, and I think, young. like, yeah, very young, and I think how it happens to most of the young players, exceptions maybe one or two, but you get into a situation where you struggle a little bit, where things start changing, boyfriend comes, and then you kind of grow up mentally. You realize, you know, things have to slowly change. And, you know, she became profes- more professional. It's, uh, it's life. You're, it's you're life. growing up in the middle of pro tennis. It's, it's people a forget thing. we're all human, except you, you're surrounded by pressure, by agents. You perform in front of thousands of people. And, of course, it brings a lot of, you know, pressure, expectations. And it's hard to deal with all that. Plus, if you're doing well, there's many things that start happening off the court. And we all know, I mean, tennis, it's a one-man show. And if your head goes out a little bit, you know, the other ones are here hungry to beat you. So it doesn't I stop for anybody. Never stops. So I think Donna grew up very strongly now. She's mentally strong. She believes in herself. She sees she can really beat anyone and she's been showing it. Her game is very solid. She improved her serve a lot, which gives her lots of free points. And uh, it can, you can tell by her matches that lots of times she wins easy points with her serve. She improved her fitness a lot. And uh, yeah, she's just improved her all-around game very, very much. So that's why she's getting into the close to top 20. Does she have a weapon or is... Well, the serve is a big weapon. The forehand is a big weapon. She likes to move around her forehand. And then also her backhand is very solid. She's, she improved her footwork tremendously. Seems to me like she doesn't miss. Yeah, she doesn't miss much. What's your opinion of that uh, Capriati rule, the Coco Golf rule? Well, I had, I had someone from WTA list how much we all played, my generation, from the age 15, 16, 17, and nobody really played many tournaments. So I think what Corey Coco gets 10 plus two, so 12 tournaments, and then when she turns 16, she can play 16. I think it's more than enough. I mean, there is always possibility to make little changes, like if you win one Grand Slam as a junior, maybe you can get one additional tournament, or if you win two, Maybe you can, so there are little things that can be improved a little bit and maybe switched around a little bit, but I think we don't need big changes. I mean, it's still so young, everyone at 15, and uh, so and I think that's plenty of tournaments, what she gets. So and I, you would know. And yeah, you would know. and I think, I think this year with Coco, maybe the only small mistake they did, they played quite a lot of tournaments coming into the French Open. And that's why she has less tournaments at the end of the year. I mean, we never played more than two tournaments. And I think at 15, you either play well and you, you don't need more than two in a row. And then if you don't play well and lose first rounds, two tournaments, you need to go back and work. So I think two tournaments in a row, are you don't need any more than that. So, yeah, she has few tournaments left until March, but we are forgetting mid middle of October, November, and December, there are actually no tournaments. So I think she'll be fine with that till she turns 16. 
let's move into our third set. This is the part of our show where we talk about your career. Okay. I feel like I know a lot, but I also don't know a lot. Where does your tennis begin? Well, I have brother and sister who play tennis in ex-Yugoslavia with Goran Ivanishevich, and uh, so I always looked up to them. Is that a split? In Zagreb. Zagreb. I grew up in Zagreb. Zagreb. Yeah, yeah I'm You're a Zagreb city girl. girl. <laughs> I'm a city girl. I love split, but I'm a city girl. And uh, I loved figure skating also when I was a kid, and I was it was between tennis and figure skating. So at the end, I decided, you know, I wanted to take tennis, and... Now, let me just ask you, did you see war? No, no, I you didn't did see, see war. war. No, I didn't see war. Uh, when I was 12, I signed with IMG and I moved to Florida. And uh, that's where everything was kind of happening. Zagreb was pretty quiet, but there were, yeah, lots of things around going on. But you sort of... I skipped that. I was in Florida. Thank God I was in Florida. So you learned with, with your brother and sister and Goran's people. Yes, yes. And uh, I had amazing coach when I started. He made me love tennis because he would spend a lot of time with me, not only playing tennis, but reading books, playing. I was a kid, you know. So it really made me love the game. Plus, then everyone said I was really talented and I had something special and that I should get into it a little bit deeper and more. And then I started winning tournaments and I won the European Championship under 14 when I was 12. And I guess the IMG were recruiting me already for like a couple of months then. And after I won it, we sit down with them and they asked me where I wanted to continue and stay and practice. And and the only, for me, best thing was to fly to America and to go to Nick Bolletieri Tennis Academy. And uh, where were your parents in this situation and, and what was the experience like? Well, I mean... On and off, they, they could not all stay with me. I mean, they had their own businesses. They had to stay at home. I had brother and sister also. Now, were your parents athletes? No. no. My father was in a restaurant business, so he had a restaurant, and my mom worked for the government company, so they had nothing to do with tennis. Unbelievable. Nothing, yeah. So we just kind of all started without having a parent uh, coach, like, in, into tennis. But then when I started playing more my dad stopped working and he started traveling with me and then of course my brother was my coach because he was a great tennis player and until this day I never beaten him <laughs> so never beat your brother no that's a that's what I say it's a big difference between men and women in tennis and uh yeah so he came with me and my dad came with me to Florida it was hard the whole family couldn't come at the time so there was a certain time where I didn't see my mom and my sister because of the war and uh, we couldn't all get the visa. So they stayed in Croatia for a little bit longer, which was tough at a young age. I mean, you miss your mom. And then at some time they were able to join and I started playing pro very young and then I started traveling. How was Boletari? Did you, uh, was Nick your... Nick was my mentor. I mean, I think he was mentor from all of us. I think with some players he did more coaching. With me he did more mentoring because I had my own team. But it was amazing. I love Nick and that's why I want my daughter to go to Boletari now. Because I think Nick is still amazing and I want her to get that positive energy that Nick still has and he's still so amazing and uh, he just loves the game. 
who were your friends from there? Yeah, Tommy, Anna Kornikova, we all went to school together. We were in the same class and we would have the same Miss Ann Roberts who was our tutor in the evening, so we would do tutoring in the night. And then there were all Monica and Pete and Jim and Andre and like everyone was there at the time. But my kind of generation was Tommy and Anna who was two years younger or three. But yeah, we were we were growing up together. What year did you turn pro? What, time, what year did you come on the scene? I think it was 92. I was, I think I was 15. Wow. So yeah. it took you a second. Yeah, I was 15 and then I started playing some ITFs and then I got a wild card for Virginia Slims at the time of Houston and I beat first round uh, Lindsay Davenport and then second round Lauren McNeil and then I lost to Zena Garrison. So, and that was my kind of big breakthrough and I think I got into top 100 then and then it's kind of started back then. 96, you got to four in the world. Who were you in 1996? <laughs> Who was I? <laughs> Well, just a young girl, you know, dealing with everything, the pressure. And I think sometimes being from a small country in many ways helped, but then in many ways it's even maybe more pressure because it's small and all eyes are on you. You were playing good tennis too. And I was playing great tennis and uh, already getting a little bit unlucky with my shoulder, which at the end I did have to stop because of my right shoulder surgery and so everything. So even at your peak... At 96, I already started feeling it a bit, yeah. What were you feeling? Well, just uh, the whole shoulder. <laughs> really? And at the end, yeah, at the end. Uh, but I, that was probably my best year, 96, and then 97 winning the French Open. So now in 97, you win the French Open, you beat Lindsay. Kutzer, and then you beat Martina Hingis. Tell us about the tournament. Where, yeah. What were you feeling right then? Well, before coming into French Open, I won Hamburg, and like I was really mentally tired, and I took a week off. I went uh, on holiday, actually, before going to French Open. And then coming into the French, I almost lost in the first round. I was like, okay, whatever, you know, just keep going, and let's see what happens. You had a tough first round match. Tough first round match, and then I had a great comeback against Lindsay. I was down a lot. <laughs> and uh, and then Amanda Kutzer beat Steffi Graf, who was the only player I did I never beaten. And when I saw the draw, I was like, okay, you know, I've beaten Lindsay, I'm playing Steffi, but I had a great tournament, it's all good. And then Amanda beat Steffi, and I was like, well, you know, it's opening up a little bit. And uh, yeah, I had a really close and tough and a little bit ugly match against Amanda because I think we both were so nervous. We both saw a big opportunity to reach the finals. And so that wasn't the prettiest match, but I, I managed to win it closely. And then I like to play against Martina Hingis. I like the, her game. I like her style. I beat in her a few times, but I really had nothing to lose. I mean, she was 37-0 coming into that final. She hasn't lost a match in, a year, in that year. So I was like, you know what? I'm, I mean, I really did what I had to do, and I'll just go for it. And I couldn't miss a ball the whole match. <laughs> you didn't miss a ball. Yeah, I, I really, yeah. Getting ready for this interview, I watched the highlights. <laughs> Is that the best tennis you ever played? Yeah, it was definitely the best tennis I played. And what's that feeling like? You win that tournament. I think at the moment you don't feel much because you just can't believe it happened. And, of course, being European, that's always your favorite tournament. 
Uh, Wait, but I gotta know. I gotta know that that night you go out French Open. Yeah. Out, we were at the Le Ban Douche till the break of dawn. Were you Van at the Douche? Ah, Ban Douche. Actually, that's where we end up. That's you ended up at Le Ban We closed Ban Douche. Yeah, and then going to the hotel, I met John McEnroe on the road, like on Champs Elysees. And we walked to the hotel, and but Bandouche was the place you at the time. You saw John McEnroe right on the street. Yeah, we, he was going back to the hotel, and we were like just hanging out, like for at the end of in the morning. <laughs> yeah, you went right till the break of dawn. Yeah, we did. And Bandouche, I knew the owner at the time. He was a friend of a great friend, and yeah, it was a great place. Even my oldie, <laughs> did you always like the nightlife? Yeah, no, not as much as everybody thought. But you know what? I mean, of course, when you're still a teenager and you finish the tournament, we never. Out during the tournament, but when you get together with your friends like Jennifer and Anke Huber and Mary Pierce and Carlos Moya, we would go out, but that was maybe once a month. Which I mean, I don't see anything wrong with that, but people exaggerate and they say, Oh, they're partying all the time, and I'm like, How can we party and play? No, no chance. So, so is, is it inaccurate that you took your eye off the ball, so to speak, or did you just feel pressure? What was no, it? I, I think, yeah, it was the pressure. People think you don't work as hard. I think you do, but it's just, everyone is different. And I think I didn't deal with the pressure as well as maybe some of the girls. And uh, that's when I start kind of getting mentally very, it was difficult because like I, I'm training, but I'm not winning. And I just, yeah, I didn't deal good with it. And I just felt it so much and everybody expected so much. And I think I was in one or two slams. I felt like I had the chance to win it. I mean, I was losing some matches in the quarters that I shouldn't have lost. And then uh, it's at some point, I just got really hurt and injured with my shoulder. And I spent four months in Germany at Dr. Miller Wolford, and I was getting 30 injections every other day oh, for on. four months. Uh, and did the rehab in another city, so I was driving in and out, and that, that didn't help. And then we decided, okay, let's do the surgery in Switzerland. And it was rotator cuff, and they did like five-hour surgery. They cleaned my whole... I, I think I have nothing left in my right shoulder, but I still feel it when the weather changes, and when I play one day, the next day I cannot put my shirt on. And then after that, I tried to come back, and it was just miserable because I could never get to the level where I was, and I was still feeling the pain. And at some point, I just said, you know, I have to stop. I well, can't. listen, um, you got to four in the world. You won the French Open. Yeah. That's incredible. Yes, it's incredible. Yeah, I hope you're proud of yeah, what you did. I'm proud, I mean. and you know you always want more, but when you look back, I mean, how many people do it and how many people make it from, like, the whole world playing tennis, and you have to appreciate it and move on, and uh, I have a second life now with my daughter and with representing tennis and giving back to tennis. I love the game of tennis. Some people leave after their careers, but I... I, I love tennis. Even uh, when I'm home now, the tennis is always on, and I'm happy to, that I can still be a big part of it. And I'll tell you what, you look great and you look happy. Yes, thank you. Let's go to our fourth set. We call it the 10-ball scramble. I say it, you okay. say what comes okay. in your mind. Okay. Favorite city? Paris. Favorite player party? Melbourne. Favorite tournament? Paris, Roland Garros. <laughs> Toughest opponent? Steffi Graf. Favorite beach in Croatia? Ball. Goran. Incredible funny. Great guy. Marin Silic. Amazing. Von Lubicic. 
all my great friends. <laughs> Mario Ancic. Very smart, amazing kid. Borna Chorich. My little baby. <laughs> Ivo Karlovic. The big giant from my city. Dana Vekic. Uh, my second baby, but my first baby, actually. I love her and I uh, hope she can win today. <laughs> this is our fifth and final set. We call it the Queen of the Court. If you could make a change in tennis with just one swing of the racket, no problems from anybody, what would it be? Wow. Uh... I don't even know I understand this question very well. You can make a change. <laughs> okay. In the sport. Ah, in the sport. Well, I think the sport has just increased and improved so much thanks to Billie Jean and to Martina and to everybody who works so hard for tennis. And where we got to 14 million in prize money for the final eight, I think this is something nobody ever thought. It, would, it could happen and it did happen. Equal prize money at the Grand Slams. Who would have thought it will happen? And it did happen. And with the girls like Corey coming up and Anisimova and Zona and Belinda, I think we should not worry about the women's tennis. So, so no changes? I think at the moment, I think we are, we are appreciating what we are getting. And I think we should appreciate it. Listen, if that's how you feel, that's how it's yeah, got to be. I feel this way because we can always bitch about something but let's let's appreciate what we have listen even my is not <laughs> bitching about it um thank you for taking this time um, i'm so glad we got to talk me too finally <laughs> um you are released have a great day thank you have a great, thank you. Have a great day have a great time here huge thank you to eva maioli we'd like to thank sergio tacchini the official apparel sponsor of Under Review. See what they're doing at SergioTacchini.com and check them out on Instagram at SergioTacchiniOfficial. Do not forget, it is Amitraj October at our Patreon page. This month, you still have access to all the cool perks like hitting with top-level pros and autographed swag, but you'll also get a free copy of the latest stunning Coffee Table Quarterly, Racket Magazine, featuring my article, Barbarians at the Net. That's right, as part of Amitraj October, Racket has kindly offered the latest issue to any new patrons. Patreon.com slash underreviewtennis. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash underreviewtennis. Thank you to Racket Magazine for supplying the product. If you don't subscribe to Racket, you should. Thank you to Michael Karsh, Lou Scher, and everyone at the U.S. Open, including and specifically Sergeant Eric Schaffer, and all the folks at the NYPD who keep things safe and flowing at the U.S. Open. We really appreciate it. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. And tell everyone you meet in the wee hours along the Champs-Élysées. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a topic you want explored or a person you want to hear from, please let us know. Our email is info at underreviewtennis.com. At UR with CS is our Twitter handle. Underreviewtennis is our Instagram and Facebook. To catch some clips from some of our interviews, check out our YouTube page. Our producer is Scott Tuft, and our music is by Brian Senti. Jason Binnick did our mix. We will be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.